Out to the hotline again, we welcome in the voice of the Mountaineers, Tony Caridi, one of the best pros in the business. Tony, appreciate you getting up early with us this morning. Buddy, good morning. It's nice to be with you. I hope everything is well. Uh, we're five days out from renewing the backyard brawl, and I know you and I are, are two of the, the happiest people this is happening. What's the feel like <laughs> down there in Morgantown uh, with only five days left till, uh, till a brawl breaks out? Probably just the normal every season optimism and excitement that you get with a college football season starting and then just 10 exit. I think that's what it is. You know, uh, people have been ramping up for this game and the fact that it became a sellout so early and you're just kind of added to it. And then, you know, as you and I have talked uh, recently, just so many neat story angles to this game, this whole USC quarterback connection. Graham Harrell is the offensive coordinator. Uh, Pitt with a new offensive coordinator with West Virginia ties um, as well. So there's uh, so many different angles to this game. But obviously, um, we, we kind of beat those to death. And we will over the next five days and then finally play this thing and see where both of these teams are. Hey, you talked about a little bit, you know, this new feel with Neil Brown you know, relinquishing a bit of his offense, a lot of his offense to Graham Harrell. Um, you know, and the ties between Keaton Slovis and JT Daniels, obviously both providing probably scouting reports on each other um, to either team. <laughs> but but what do you expect to see differently from this West Virginia offense uh, under the, the tutelage of Graham Harrell? It's a good question. Um, I, I think, Pat, that the one thing that the offense has lit, lacked in the previous three seasons has been a true identity as to, you know, who are you? What do you do? And I think until you get that as a team, uh, you, you struggle uh, because you just haven't defined yourself. So to answer your question, I think as the season goes on, we'll be able to identify exactly what it is that we do, which opens up a line of questions then, okay, what will the offense look like? And the, the instant and the easy answer is to say, well, Graham Harrell's from, you know, the Mike Leach and Hal Mummy coaching tree. It's air raid, and so they're just going to chuck it all over the place. Um, I don't necessarily think that is true because I, I do think that although Neil's not going to be centrally involved in calling the plays, uh, both he and Graham are in you know an agreement that uh, you have still got to run the football, uh, regardless. Uh, of what the game has, how the game has changed. And so I do think this will be a team um, going forward um, that is going to want to have, you know, the ability to run the ball consistently. And I think, you know, we would love to have a 1,000 yard rusher. I still think that is so important in this game. But with all of that being said, I, I think the biggest change is probably uh, that we've got a quarterback now um, that can throw the deep ball. And I think that that is in the DNA of the air raid is to is to really try to get that ball vertical down the field. So I think that's probably the biggest change. You know, as I study West Virginia, we're talking to West Virginia play-by-play man Tony Caridi. Uh, you look at West Virginia, and the similarities between Pitt and West Virginia are that the strengths seem to be on both lines. Um, would that be an accurate assessment? Yes, on paper. And obviously that has to play out now, but on paper – you know, uh, Pitt returns, um, you know, it's offensive line intact. And I heard, and you could kind of verify this, like everyone is like 23 years old plus, you know, that's pretty much, <laughs> uh, yeah, that that's, as you know, I mean, in, in today's, in today's world of college sports, that's almost unheard of. 
And I think that while West Virginia's offensive line doesn't have that type of experience, it's finally coming together. Uh, the biggest deficiency that Neil Brown inherited was the offensive line. And they have been on the build over the last three-plus years to try to get it back. Um, to kind of tell you where the thing had gotten to, um, the only NFL draftee that Neil inherited when he came into this program was an offensive lineman by the name of Colton McKivitz, uh, who's a good player and is now with the San Francisco 49ers. That was it in the, in the last three years. And, you know, I went back last year to try to kind of figure out how bare was the cupboard. I went all the way back to 1980 when Don Nealon came in. And all of the coaches, and you know, Don and Rich and Stu, Bill Stewart, and then Dana, they inherited a minimum of eight and sometimes nine and ten NFL guys on the roster that they had in their you know first three draft classes. And so he really did. He started from one guy. And so now to the point on the offensive line where you've, you've got three West Virginia natives on the offensive line, the left side tackle was a freshman All-American a year ago. He moves from right to left tackle this year. Uh, the center's a Walter Camp All-American and Zach Frazier. Um, and, and another West Virginia kid is Doug Nestor, uh, who's actually played against Pitt because he was at Virginia Tech for two seasons. And so that's the, that's the bulk of that offensive line, and they do return technically all five starters, and that's the strength there. And then the defensive line, same kind of a deal. We had a massive loss. Um, at the nose guard position in the uh, in the off season due to the transfer portal, a kid named Akeem Mesador, uh, who went to Miami, massive loss. I think he's probably a pro, but uh, they feel very comfortable uh, with his replacement, a guy by the name of Jordan Jefferson. And then you've got Dante Stills, who's one of the Stills you know brothers. His brother Darius was a an All Big Twelve Conference performer. His dad Gary, um, who played in the NFL for years, a former Mountaineer and a kid named Taj Alston. So they feel very, very good with where they are on that defensive line starting and the depth behind it. Yeah, that's the story. And that's, you know, with the brawl tends to bear itself out, uh, you know, in those trenches. And uh, I don't think this year will be will be any different. You know, if, if you look at the Mountaineers, and we appreciate Tony coming on and giving us a scouting report, I think the questions, you know, from my standpoint would be the defensive secondary. Uh, a lot of new faces. Mm-hmm. And struggled in the past, played very soft coverage last year. Watching him on tape, do you expect to see any any advancement there this year? Well, that's the great question. So they went out and they tried to shore those holes up by getting kids from the transfer portal that had played a lot of football at a very high level, and a couple of kids that you'll see out there. Uh, as a kid named Wesley, and I keep calling them kids, young men. Wesley McCormick um, is a, a guy who won a national championship at James Madison, and he'll be a starter, I would believe, at corner when the step chart uh, comes out. Uh, another on the other side of the corner, uh, Charles Woods is a guy that transferred in from Western Illinois a year ago and really uh, came on late in the season. And if you look at Pro Football Focus's grades, uh, they consider him one of the best players, um, you know, coverage-wise in the Big 12 Conference, and uh, he'll be the other corner. And then they went, uh, again, staying in the uh, circles of high-quality transfers. Jasir Cox is a young guy who won three national championships at North Dakota State, and then they went to Colorado State for another guy by the name of Rashad Ajay. So the answer there for you is quality guys at their previous stops 
can that translate to immediately effective at this level? And, you know, you don't get a warm-up game like you probably would like to to see, just get all the kinks worked out. Instead, you're going to go in here and, you know, inside the stadium on Thursday, and it's going to be uh, big boy football right off the bat. So the answer is if they can instantly jump in there and say, here we go, I've played a lot of football, you know, over a thousand collective snaps. Uh, we can go, we can do this, we'll see. It'll be interesting, and we're going to go down memory lane with Tony now because I want to – you took over play-by-play duties for Jack Fleming in 1997, and I get asked all the time about my favorite backyard brawl memories, but I want to hear from the other side. What If you had to put one up there, the best, the, your favorite game you've called in the backyard brawl, football or basketball, I'll let you go both ways. <laughs> what, would you, what would you say? Oh, goodness. So kind of like, okay, which one of my kids do I love the most? Um, <laughs> one, that, one that stands out that may not stand out um, to, you know, in, in the history of the rivalry on either side is that West Virginia beat uh, Pitt on a walk-off field goal here in Morgantown from Tyler Bittencourt when Bill Stewart was the coach. You mm-hmm. remember that one? Oh, nine. Yeah. And that was, uh, you know, that was that was really really good. And then obviously, you know, that Pat White, Steve Slayton, you know, before the the other game, <laughs> um, the the two year, you know, we talked earlier a couple weeks ago. We we talked about the two previous games um, that those two guys played were just like, you know, statistically wow numbers. And you know, th- those were certainly fun. And basketball, you remember like. Panthers had hardly ever lost at the peak for a long time when that thing was getting going. John Beeline was the coach. West Virginia was down significantly double digits. And our Kevin Pitznagel hit this crazy jump hook that seemed to be like about 20 feet away. And it may have banked in or something, and it started this rally. And so West Virginia got one of the, the very early wins uh, inside, uh, inside the peep, but you know, man, it's, um, it's, it's a, it's a doggone shame that, uh, we're not playing on a regular basis. And it's probably speaking to the bigger story of what's happening in college athletics, which I don't think is good because, you know, these types of games just are few now. And you see the interest in this game, right? They're talking about potentially, you know, the biggest crowd ever at the stadium, uh, we're going to go to Virginia Tech here in a couple of weeks. The game's sold out. Why? Well, because fans care. People care. And I think a lot of times, you know, we're putting teams in other geographical locations where, you know, it's fine and it's good, but it's not the essence of why people began following these games. And I think in the long run, uh, we could be doing ourselves some damage. I'm talking about 15, 20 years. The I don't care factor could really kick in. And um, that, to me, is the, is the bigger long-range problem. No doubt. And that's Tony Caridi, play-by-play man for West Virginia. And, and I, I agree. I think now more than ever, Pitt and West Virginia, although it may be uh, antithetical, uh, need to lock arms. And I don't think we'll, we'll, we won't need to uh, wait very long uh, until Thursday evening, probably around 6.30, to realize that this game will just be different. And we look forward to seeing you at Acrisure Stadium next Thursday night. Tony, appreciate you joining us this morning. It's my pleasure, Pat. Good to be with you. You take care.